Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. So here's the big question that we're asking and we've asked now for four weeks, and it's obvious by the series title. How do you enjoy life? How do you get to that place to enjoy life? The underlying question is, is is there a way to be happy? And honestly, does Jesus even want that for me? And here's what we've said throughout this series, just quick recap, is that your enjoyment of life has way more to do with who, it's personal, it's relational, than it does about what. Like what always leads to what else? But a lot of times our pursuit of enjoyment or happiness has to do with something possessional rather than relational. But the reality is this. When you get to the end of your life, you are going to have relational regrets. You're not going to have possessional regrets. It is all about who. That's what happiness, that, that is what enjoyment is ultimately about. And so Jesus says to all of us, listen, I'm inviting you into enjoyment. I'm inviting you into happiness. And the promise is not that you have a life that you're not going to experience any pain or all your problems are going to be erased. Jesus promised the opposite. In this life, you're going to have trouble. In this life, stuff is going to hit the fan. But I haven't just called you to be holy, which negates happiness, which is a lot of times what you're taught in the church, that those two things are not mutually exclusive, and you have been created. I have been created with the capacity to experience happiness, with the capacity to experience pleasure. And so Jesus says in every command, hey, I want you to handle your sexuality this way. I want you to handle your time management this way. I want you to organize your life this way. And every single invitation and command is an invitation toward freedom. And Jesus is going, I'm inviting you into life to the full. And you can, you can follow me and you can run after me and you can experience this because this is what it means to follow me. Your life is not gonna be pain-free, but it's gonna be better because following me is better. I manufactured you, I created you, I know what's best for you. And so Jesus says to all of us, not follow me, it's gonna suck, which is what a lot of you grew up with, but follow me into literal translation, follow me into a life that is not ordinarily encountered, but it's all about who, it's not about what. We've said this, if you're what, when it ages and depreciates, if you're not happy any longer, you are never happy. It's all about who. But here's the thing that, honestly, we don't talk about a lot or we just kind of miss, is that the thing that gets us in trouble and the reason that when we start to feel bad, we start to reach for something to feel better and then ultimately we end up a lot of times self-medicating and undermining our future happiness is because we don't realize that the enjoyment and the happiness that Jesus talks about in the scripture, it's an outcome. That literally you sow and you reap your way into it, which that's difficult because that's not immediate. And all of us are about immediate, and especially in our culture. Like if I can't get an app to download on my phone in seven seconds, I'm like, forget it, right? And this is, this is not immediate. This is ultimate, This is, hey, Jesus is going, you need to sow and reap your way into the right direction, but there's not immediate consequences and there's not immediate payoffs, which means, as we've said, literally, you gotta know which direction you're sowing because you can wake up a decade later and realize that you've sown in the wrong direction and now you gotta try to sow your way back out of that. But Jesus says, listen, it's not immediately accessible, the enjoyment and the happiness you want, meaning you're not gonna walk out of here, hear a message, download a podcast, listen to a TED Talk and go, I'm happy. Like, it didn't work that way. Jesus is like, you sow and you reap your way into it. You move in the direction of your happiness. And so he says over and over again that, listen, it's easy to ignore stuff, but you need to know that this is what I've called you to, and you need to make sure that you are sowing in the direction of what I've actually designed for your life. Now, here's what I wanna do today, real quick, is I wanna talk about maybe the most counterintuitive idea in this whole series, 
And there's been a couple that honestly, like, on the front end, I don't think you'd come to that conclusion without Jesus. This may be the most counterintuitive idea of all. And what I'm about to talk about, it's so counterintuitive, some of you will think, I don't know about that. Some of you will think I even have an agenda. Others of you will think I just ran out of stuff to talk about in this series, so I had to throw something in for a fourth message. But I'm telling you, this is such a big deal. And others of you who have discovered this, this will be a reminder of the discovery of the connection between your enjoyment and happiness and ultimately where it comes from. And here's the bottom line through the whole thing, this whole message if you have to leave early or if you get bored. If you are about you, you will never enjoy your life. If you end up about you, for you, and a lot of times we don't see that in the mirror, but if it's all about you, you will not enjoy life because here's the reality, and all throughout scripture this is taught, you do not have the capacity to fulfill you. Like even if you achieved your future version of you, come on, isn't this true? Everybody's future version of them in five years is legit. Like even if you are terrible right now, some stuff's going on, the thing that kind of gives us hope is like when five years I'm legit. Like, I'll be amazing in five years. But you got the achievement that you want, the education you want, your kids turn out the way you want, you get the car you want, you get the house you want, you get the career trajectory that you want. Even if you get to the place that you want, your future version of you, all throughout scripture you see this, and some of you have already realized this, you will not be enough for you. Like, you can't satisfy you. You are not enough by yourself to make you happy. Like, in in essence, here's the bottom line. You cannot acquire, you cannot ultimately consume, and you cannot exercise your way into enjoyment in life. And the thing is, like, we kind of know that, but we constantly pursue that. Like, you look at, and come on, South Campus, you look at what other people acquire, you look at what other people consume constantly, and you look at how other people look, and there's this thing in the back of your mind, even if you won't admit it, where you're going, if I could just get some of that, I would be happier. Like, if I could just get some of that, I think that I would enjoy life at a greater degree because I look at your highlight reel and you seem happy, and so I need some of that to make me happy. It's what we said last week. It's all about awareness. Like, we're more aware than ever before. Like, you're watching somebody on Instagram who's over in a third world country feeding starving kids while you're stuffing your face with Cheetos on your couch and you feel terrible about you. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're more aware than ever before, which leads to discontentment. And what you end up doing is watching everybody's highlight reel and basically creating composite people. You know what I'm talking about? You know what a composite person is? Basically Frankenstein. Like you take a little bit here and a little bit there. And it's not that you like want to be somebody in terms of, I don't want their family of origin necessarily. I don't want to step into their life. But there's just parts of them that I start to get deceived. Well, if I just had, again, their car, if I had their house, if I had their kids, because my kids are crazy right now, or if my kids behave like their kids, if I had whatever, if I had their career trajectory, whatever it is that we start to put together this composite person to think, like, as I look at their highlight reel, I become discontent, and I think if I could just not, I don't want to be them, but if I could have some of what they have, I would better enjoy life, and I would be better happy. And I don't know what better happy means, but I would be happier would be the correct way to say it. Like, and then we get hyper-focused on becoming something we're not. And I know at the North Campus, you're just kind of leaving me hanging right now. Like, I'm the only one in the world that struggles with this. But you do. And, and then when that happens, you become consumed with you. And when you become consumed with you, just mark it down, you are not happy. And we look at these composite people and their highlight reels thinking that that's going to make us happy. And we start to pursue things that we were never designed to pursue. And we start to pursue becoming something that we were never designed to become. And in some cases, at some level, you can become that person. But you circumvent some things in the process, you ignore some things and people in the process, and you get into a place where you achieve some of the things you felt like you needed to achieve, only to realize that you are not happy because it wasn't the rhythm of what God called you into. Jesus has a plan and a destiny and a will for your life, and the prime place to be is syncing up with what he's actually called you to do and not what he's called somebody else to do because when you are running somebody else's race, number one, you don't have the grace to achieve what God's called them to, but you have the grace to achieve what God's called you to. And when you are running what God has called somebody else to do, you will not enjoy life. You will never, ever be happy. 
and you can't acquire and you can't consume and you can't exercise your way into enjoyment, especially based on the highlight reels of people who may not even actually be happy. Like we lie on Instagram every single day, right? Kid looks amazing for that 15 second period. And it took you 39 pictures to get that to be able to post, right? That's just true. The casual selfie in your car took you 45 minutes to get that. Like we all lie, but we're looking at these highlight reels of people that may not actually be happy. Now here's the thing, you can't consume, acquire, exercise your way into happiness, but here, and this is where you're gonna think I have an agenda and I don't, and this isn't even the main point of my message, but it's just setting up where I, I wanna go. But you can serve and volunteer your way there. And some of you, you know this because you've experienced this in your life, and for a lot of us, the reason you'll think I have an agenda is because you've never experienced this because you have spent so much time consuming and acquiring. But I'm telling you, and this is what's really interesting, if you just go look at the research, what I'm talking about is true. Just go begin to look at the research of the connection between the enjoyment of life and selflessness. Between the enjoyment of life or happiness in your life and selflessness. Or volunteerism and your health. In fact, there's so many incredible studies that have been done around this. One of the um, most powerful is University of Chicago, and they just asked this question. What are the most fulfilling and satisfying careers? And here are the top four to give you all four. This is like, it, this is the most satisfying where people are at their happiness and it was caring for others, teaching others, protecting others, and then just to throw into the fourth one, creative pursuits, the creative arts. But it was all about caring for others, teaching others, protecting others. And here's what was so interesting in this study is that after people could pay their bills, there was almost no income level associated with enjoyment of life or happiness. There was no income level associated with it. Then there was another study done, um, and this was a very intense, very thorough study. It lasted over 20 years, and it actually uh, was made up of 40 different studies. And in this study, again, they just asked the, the question, is there a connection between selflessness and happiness? Selflessness and enjoyment of life. Selflessness or even volunteerism and your health. And here's what they found in terms of volunteering, selflessness, health, and happiness. That depression, heart disease, Stress, drug use, unplanned pregnancies all dropped significantly. That's crazy. And here's what they also said, is that if you have a teenager in this study, that you should, even if you have to, you should force them to volunteer somewhere on a regular rhythm. And that even volunteering with a bad attitude has really good outcomes. And so you just force them to do it because they would volunteer generally into adulthood and it would have extraordinary positive implications on their life. And then here's the flip side of that study done over 20 years. Here's the flip side of volunteering health happiness, that psychological well-being, physical health, self-esteem, longevity, and quality of life all improve significantly. And over and over again, they made the link between selflessness and the impact on your life. And then there's one other study that I just came across of, and you see these things all the time. They like pop up on your newsfeed or whatever. And the article was the five cancer fighting strategies. So they had five cancer fighting strategies. You've seen all this. Some of it is like whatever, because like what fought cancer one day is giving you the cancer the next day. So some of it I just ignore. But here was one of the five in the five cancer fighting strategies volunteer and mentor. Like volunteer and mentor. That literally clinical research found that giving yourself away, mentoring and volunteering actually pumped up your immune system, that it had legit physical benefits to your life. And so the question you gotta ask is, how can that be? Because for every single one of us, and you may leave me alone on this stage, but all of us are in the same place, regardless of where you're at on the faith spectrum, is that you are naturally kind of wired to acquire, to consume, and to look your best, and yet all of the research across the globe says the best thing that you could do for your life and for you is to not be so focused on you. That literally selflessness is one of the things that leads to happiness. Selflessness is one of the things that leads to enjoyment of life. So here's a question that I wanna answer real quick. You still with me at North Campus? You still with me at South? Here's the question, how can behaving selflessly lead myself to the enjoyment of life? 
Like, seriously, you got to ask this question because we'll head nod that because you're in church and you just think that's the right answer. But seriously, like, how does that happen? Because how is there this dynamic where I empty myself, I give of myself, and in many cases, I leave feeling full in some way? Like, how is it when I empty myself, there's some level of fullness in terms of happiness and enjoyment of life, and when I'm full of myself, I'm constantly empty? Like, how does that dynamic play out? Because the natural inclination of every single one of us is to get yours. Am I talking to anybody? Like, it is, in fact, this is the line that you'll hear a lot is like, I just deserve to be happy, which oftentimes is kind of the defense of some off-the-rails decisions I want to make in terms of what I think happiness is going to mean for me. But all of us are naturally inclined to get ours. It's what we try to do in marriage a lot of times. It's what we try to do in the workplace a lot of times. Like, I got to take care of me. I got to do me. I've got to make sure that I'm happy because I deserve to be happy. Some of you do the same thing with church. You've been to 10 different churches over seven years because it's constantly about you feeling comfortable. It's constantly about your experience, which the church was never designed to be. It was not about you, about your functional comfort. It was about you coming out of your comfort for the sake of other people. And so you are in this place where you're hopping from relationship to relationship or church to church because you can never find happiness. How is it that that dynamic is true? But for some of us, like we've experienced it, you've experienced where you give yourself away and you feel full. Like you give yourself away and the more you give yourself away, the more you like yourself. And it doesn't make any sense, which I think is why a lot of people don't do it. And, and you look at, okay, yeah, all of that's great and I can even look at some of the research, but I, I don't have time to do that. And what clinical research would tell you and in a second what the scripture would tell you is you don't have time not to do it. That literally... The best thing that you could do for yourself is to stop doing so much for yourself. That literally the best thing that you could do for your family is to stop doing so much for your family. That literally the way to find fulfillment and happiness is to pour yourself out. And there is a direct correlation between your giving your life and you finding the enjoyment that you've been after for your whole life. And I'm telling you, Jesus is brilliant. Like I tell you all of that, for this reason, is that over and over again, psychology and science and sociology and philosophy, they simply reveal God's brilliance and God's truth. That 2,000 years ago, before there was any studies or any knowledge around this, Jesus is like, do this, your life is gonna be better, I'm Jesus, you should trust me and follow me. And then two thousand years later, everything catches up with that to go, you know what? You should do this. This is really good. This is going to change your life. Well, Jesus said that 2,000 years ago when he said, follow me. It is not an invitation into pain-free and a sin-infested world, but your life is going to be better. And when I said I'm offering you life to the full, I didn't stutter. I'm offering you life to the full. And so I'm, I know it may be counterintuitive on the front end. Nobody does this. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't even seem to connect. But Jesus is smarter than you, and he says, follow me. And it really comes down to these two words right here, divine design. That you have been created, that you have been manufactured. God owns the patent on you. God knows you. To say you have been created by your heavenly father who made you and knows you to sync up with the rhythm of how he created you to live your life. And all throughout the scripture, this is the most repeated command over and over again. It's all about one another. I want you to give your life away for the sake of one another. I want, to pour, I want you to pour your life out for the sake of one another. I want you to move in the direction of one another. I want you to engage one another. I want you to be empathetic toward one another. I want you to sacrifice for the sake of one another. And here's the reality. Selfishness, it just comes naturally but it was not your divine design. It is not what God had intended in the Garden of Eden that jacked everything up. And now there is this effort to move back to how God originally created us. And Jesus knows the way to go, listen, you've got to follow me. You've got to sow and reap your way into this. And here's the reality. Sin created it. And here's what we've said throughout the series. Sin always separates. 
Sin always separates. And sin will isolate you into your own self-centered world. And then it will seduce you into thinking that more of me is what's gonna lead me to enjoyment and happiness. And the reality over and over again is you are not enough to make you happy. You are not enough to make you happy. And listen, the only thing more depressing than having this thing out there that you can't reach, if I could just get some of that, if I could just get what they've got, if I could just reach that benchmark, the only thing more depressing than having that carrot out there that you can't quite get is to actually get it and realize that once you got it, it wasn't worth the chase and now you've got a decade of regret and there's nothing else to chase and you've gotta try to sow your way and reap your way out of this place that you behaved your way into only to realize the thing that I've been hoping in for a decade over-promised and under-delivered. And so Paul in just a moment says, listen, if you're gonna enjoy life, you've gotta find a way to give yourself away. And you've met people like that, right? Where there is nothing that's wrinkle-free and there is no pain-free and there is no problem-free. But somehow they have embraced this reality and this dynamic of how they've been manufactured and it's changed everything. And sometimes even in the midst of circumstances that are not great, there is a, there's an enjoyment, there is a peace, there is a contentment that with a lot more and maybe you're in a season of a lot more wrinkle-free life, you only hope to obtain and so Paul comes along and he writes to this church in Galatia and he basically draws this contrast between two different approaches to living. And this is like this passage is massively deep in terms of theology. I've looked at that before. That's not my point today. I want to just draw these contrasts to, to really lead us where we want to go. But he, he basically, he creates these two or describes these two different approaches to living and he gives a list that characterizes these two types. And earlier in the series, we talked about the fact that when you prioritize pleasure over happiness or you prioritize your pleasure over what Jesus says is the way toward enjoyment, you get neither. And in this, Paul again says something equally counterintuitive, but he's true as he describes and, and basically compares these two ways of living in Galatians chapter five, verse 19. And here's what he says. Are you still with me at the South Campus? Are you still with me at the North Campus? No, I know, I'm talking to them at the South Campus. I was getting to you. Galatians five nineteen. Here's what it says. The acts of the flesh, meaning, this is just, the sin that wars against you, the stuff that's constantly moving you to do things outside of the guidelines of what Jesus says in terms of this is gonna lead to a better way. The sin that wars against you or the acts of the flesh are obvious. So this is basically, if you could do what you wanted, when you wanted to do it, and there were no consequences and you could get away with it, this is what it would look like. And they've done study after study after study that if there were no consequences or nobody would find out and we could just do what we wanted to do, it was amazing what we were capable and ultimately willing to do, if you've ever seen those studies. So the, the acts of the flesh are, if there were no consequences, nobody would find out, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Debauchery just means excessive sexual behavior, fill in the blank. Verse 20, idolatry. Here's what this means, not like that you've got this little shrine and you're bowing down to an idol. Idolatry just means a shift happens, where a shift happens. I realize I need to make that really clear. A shift happens, and you start to take the thing that was created, and rather than worshiping the creator, in essence, you worship the created thing. Not in terms of physical worship, but here's the reality. All of us have been created with this desire, this capacity, this thing from God where we desire love, acceptance, worth, security, identity, and we're constantly in a search for it. And what can happen is our relationships, the stuff that we've been given, our marriage, the things around us, they can take a wrongful place in our life where all of a sudden, rather than those things leading us to a place where ultimate worth, security, love, acceptance is found in Jesus, we try to find them in those things or in those relationships. And in that moment, a shift happens and idolatry takes hold where literally you will ignore Jesus to get what you want over here. And in that moment, Jesus says, you have now created a surrogate savior that is your bank account or your wife. And your bank account and your wife are crappy gods. Like they can't measure up to that pressure. And he's like, this is what it means to move into this place of idolatry. And then witchcraft, 
which that's a huge problem in our church. That's why I wanted to bring it up and make sure it was included into a message. Here's what it means. That just means to harness the forces of nature to get what I want. This is, in essence, like quid pro quo. If I can do this, then I'm going to get this back. In essence, that's, that's what he's talking about in terms of witchcraft. And then hatred, discord, jealousy. What's the next one? Fits of rage. What you experienced, not, maybe not today, but with your family on the way to church one Sunday, and then you got out, and despite the little stick figures bowing down to a cross and the insignia for your homeschool group, like there was fits of rage, and then you get out trying to act like everything is great and everybody is getting along with each other. It's construction on Bloomingdale, and you just go off the rails, and maybe I'm talking to me right now, but fits of rage, you know, you know what I mean? Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and what? Envy, drunkenness. Orgies, and orgies is just basically, you don't need a definition, um, orgies and the like. And so here's basically what Paul's saying. Left to yourself, this is where you go. Like you don't think, and maybe not to that extreme, but if left to yourself, this is where you go. This is what you are capable of. This is why you need a savior. This is what it looks like. If you just follow the pattern of selfishness that is inside of you and inside of me, this is where it goes. This is what it looks like. This is how you describe it. And then he says this, he draws a contrast in just a second. But he says, listen, before you get there, this ultimately characterizes a life that is totally consumed with selfishness. And here's the thing about it. This is pleasure. All of these things are pleasure at somebody else's expense. When you move and cross the line towards selfishness or living in that direction, it is pleasure for you at somebody else's expense, meaning somebody always pays even if you get by with it. Like we've said this so many times before, but this is the issue. This is how you define sin, and so many people don't understand this in terms of the New Testament, is that Jesus, if you place your faith and trust in him, condemnation, wrath of God, what you deserve for that sin was already paid for at the cross. That's been done away with. And so the, the, the reason that sin is a big deal in your life is not because God is coming to condemn you. Sin was already condemned at the cross. The issue behind sin in the New Testament with what Jesus has done for us is the reality that it hurts people. And the number one command that Jesus gave was the night before he was gonna be crucified, the night before he's gonna be betrayed, hey, if you guys forget everything else, just remember this one statement. The mark of whether you're my disciple and my follower is understanding my reckless love for you and then loving other people around you that bears the question, what does love demand of me in every circumstance? And when you do that, it will lead your life in the right direction, even if you don't have a rule or a command or a list of laws because love always leads in the direction of putting the other person above yourself. And so what Paul's saying here is this leads in the direction where you hurt you and you hurt other people and you are made in the image of God and other people are made in the image of God. And when you hurt God's kids, you're not cool with God and it breaks the heart of your heavenly father. That's why sin's a big deal. Not because God's coming with condemnation, God already came with condemnation, but because you are made in the image of God and you cannot sin and turn your back on God without hurting you and without hurting other people around you. And so when he says acts of the flesh, as we talked about in this series, all of these are appetites. And here's what he said about appetites. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. When you feed an appetite in terms of like what you want, in terms of sexuality, in terms of money, when you feed an appetite, it grows. And here's the thing. When you can't satisfy an appetite, which ultimately you can never satisfy an appetite, when you can't satisfy an appetite, you become angry. And Paul says, the more you try to fill yourself up, the more you're gonna want more. The more you're gonna move in a direction where you become more and more insulary trying to get yours and you're not gonna be happy. But then he says this, here's the contrast. But in contrast to that, the fruit of the spirit, I mean, okay, so the acts of the flesh, this is if I just pursue what I want and there's no consequences versus the fruit of the spirit. And basically what he's saying is this, when you get to this place, this is getting the place in your life to go, I am tired of living for myself because it doesn't work. 
I'm tired of trying to fill myself up because the more I try to fill myself up, the emptier I become. The more I try to fill myself up, the more I want more. And so I'm at a place in my life, and for some of you, like this is the means by which God has gotten your attention. The only way was for you to pursue some things and get to the end of some things to go, it doesn't work, it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't make sense. And so I haven't wanted to embrace Jesus until this point, but the thing that's moving me into this place is my own brokenness and my own realization finally at 37 that I don't know what makes me happy. And I don't know where ultimate fulfillment comes from. And so I need somebody outside of me who knows better than me. And this is the moment really that Paul's describing when you finally go, okay, Heavenly Father, as opposed to living this way, the fruit of the Spirit, I surrender my life to you. Your will, I'm I'm just gonna let that happen. Your will be done. But the fruit of the Spirit, meaning It's not all about me, in essence, is what Paul's saying, is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, meaning it's patience. I'm going to go at the other person's pace, and I'm going to give them more time than I had originally planned to give them. That's what it means to forbear. It's kindness. I'm going to gear down in a relationship or in a conversation or in the room so that you feel comfortable so that when I walk away, it's not you being more impressed with me but you feeling better about you. That's what kindness is. It's goodness, meaning I'm gonna do the right thing even if it costs me. I'm gonna choose to do what's right in this situation even if it costs me. I'm gonna choose to do right in this even if it wars against me getting mine. And gentleness I'm gonna leverage my power and my influence for the benefit of other people. And then what's the last one? And self-control. And Paul's going, listen, when you stop pursuing what is all about you and invite your savior to live through you, this is what it looks like. And then, and maybe you're not gonna think this is brilliant, but this is so unbelievably brilliant. This is why you should read the Bible. He makes one of the most brilliant statements you could ever imagine, and this is just so true. And 2,000 years ago, how, how did you know this? He says this, and against such thing, there is, what? Against such thing, there is no law. Meaning, lo- loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled, like that's the summary of what Paul just wrote about. Here's what he's saying. You were made for that. Like you were made for that. You flourish in that type of environment and you flourish in that type of community. And come on, that's intuitive, but we just don't think about it. Come on, imagine a family that is characterized by all of those things. Imagine if somehow imperfectly you got to that place. Would your family be happy? Like, of course they would. Like, if that were the the characterization of you and your family, you would be happy because intuitively you know this is what you were designed for and this is the community that you were designed and manufactured for. And it doesn't even matter what you believe about faith. You just stack up those characteristics and you know there is something about that that leads to enjoyment and happiness. And here's Paul's whole point in terms of against these things, there is no law. He's saying, when you get to this place, if there is a community where this is embraced and it's about selfless living, where I'm putting the best interest of you over me. If you get into that kind of relationship in that kind of community, there is almost no need for any law. There's almost no need for any rules. This is why the greatest companies and organizations and even churches, and you'll see this in families, that have embraced a culture that is so strong where you get people to go, I am gonna submit myself for the sake of the other people. They have almost no policies. They have almost no rules because the ultimate guiding factor is not the laws and the rules. Listen, the laws and the rules will move you to the lowest common denominator. 
Like, hey, I can't sleep with my neighbor's wife, but I'm not gonna go love and give myself sacrificially to my neighbor. Hey, I can't go light up my neighbor with the right hook, which I'm not gonna do anyway. I may slap them and run, but I'm not gonna go love them. It just moves you to the lowest common denominator of what you're not gonna do, but it doesn't move you beyond that law to go. This isn't about what I'm not gonna do. This is about moving in the direction of other people to scandalously, recklessly sacrifice and love for them. And Paul's going, if you were to ever get to this place, there would be almost no need for any rules because when you start asking the question, what does love demand? When you start moving in the place of selflessness, it always moves you in the right direction and you don't need a verse, you don't need a law, you don't need a rule. You're just gonna move in the direction of doing what Jesus did for you, which is putting other people above your needs. And he's like, imagine a family like that. Imagine a community like that. Imagine a nation like that. And it's never gonna be perfect until Jesus comes back. But come on, if you could in any way get any semblance of that, you would be in a place where you would have less anxiety. You would enjoy life. And you would be happy. Because you intuitively and instinctively know that that is the measure of enjoyment and happiness. And so Paul says, listen, selfishness is natural, but it's not by design. And I'm inviting you into selfless living. And come on, whether you believe it or not, you know that the more selfless you become, the more you enjoy the life that God has given you. You want more evidence? Just answer this question. How do you measure, just think about this for a second. How do you measure the value of a life? Like, how do you measure it? Like, nobody stands up at a funeral and goes, you know what, the things that we're gonna highlight are immoral, impure, indulgent, hateful, jealous, angry, selfish, it's pretty argumentative, envious, and drunk. Like nobody, nobody gets up and goes, hey, this guy had such an amazing contribution to society. Slept with every woman he possibly could, he's on Tinder every night, hitting it and quitting it until like, I don't even know. He was always angry. He was self-absorbed continually. When he wasn't drunk, he was usually asleep. And we're just here to honor him today. Like, nobody does that. No, I've, I've seen funerals that are pretty short because you just have to make crap up. But they make sure they, invo- uh, they avoid this part of it. Like, let's just try to point to what we can point to. But we're not going to espouse or somehow elevate those qualities All of us know that it's stupid for me to even bring up, but that is not what you're gonna value in the end because all of you, regardless of where you're at with Jesus right now, I just wanna bring you in around this idea. You intuitively know that none of those things have any value. They are all consumptive, meaning it is pleasure for you at somebody else's expense. It is momentary enjoyment for you at somebody else's expense. Your sin, when you go, I'm gonna find it my own way, I'm gonna get mine, I'm gonna be about me, it always inevitably hurts you and it hurts the people around you. And at the end, they weren't happy and the people around them weren't happy because all of us know that those things literally have no value and nobody talks about them in the end. But let's just be real. But every single day, I mean, every single day, I'm tempted to consume all of my life and all of my time on me in order to enjoy my life. And the reality is every time I'm doing that, I'm taking a step to undermine my future enjoyment and happiness. So let me, let me ask the question this way, or let me make the statement this way. The best description I've ever heard, and it's just this, that what you're going to value most about your life is the parts of it that you give away. Ultimately, when you get to the end and when you get to a later season and the emotional pull of what you're seduced by right now becomes less and less, what you're gonna value most are the parts of your life that you gave away. I've said this throughout the series. Your regrets are not gonna be possessional regrets. This is what we value and this is what we celebrate. And come on, this is how we measure greatness. This is how we look at an individual and go, that individual is great. There is something about them. There is greatness in them. And it's not always because of what they achieved. It's what they gave away. And you look at their life, and one of the things that characterizes those kind of people are they are so content 
We know it. The value of your life is gonna be how much of your life you ultimately gave away. And so what you have got to do is you've gotta find a way to systematically give your life away. Not a one-time thing, not when you feel it. I've said this throughout the series. We are so imprisoned by what we feel. You do not have to feel something to do something. You need to do something so that ultimately you can feel something and you can open the door and invite Jesus to begin to change your heart. You don't get generous by feeling generous. You do generous things and generosity in your heart starts to develop as you get closer in a relationship with Jesus. You don't feel selfless by waiting to feel selfless. You do selfless things catapulted by the selflessness and love of your Savior. And I'm telling you, as you act and take a step of faith, God will begin to work at the level of you feeling and understanding in your heart. You just need to do it. And this is the thing. You've got to find a way to systematically give your life away the way that you systematically consume. And Jesus is like, that is the way into the enjoyment and happiness that you're after. And you would never come to that conclusion on your own. Follow me. And some of you are already at a place to know that what you've pursued has not worked. Follow me. Selflessness, because it is the mark of your Savior, is the way forward. So some of you um, have seen the Dead Sea personally. Some of you have seen pictures of it and If you haven't, you can use your imagination, but I'm also hoping a picture is gonna pop up in just a second at both campuses. And there might be one before that, I don't know, but there's there's the Dead Sea. That's maybe commonly like what you've seen. And like, it's phenomenal. And as we get ready to close this series and, and this message, here's my admonition to you. Don't be like the Dead Sea. And here's what I mean. You probably know this already. It's, it's dead because the Jordan River, River dumps water into it and no water goes out of it. Like water dumps in, but nothing goes out. And it's, so, it's a huge mystery that the Dead Sea is actually drying up. Like the second picture is parts of the Dead Sea where literally it's just drying up. And yet every day there's massive amounts of water being pumped in to the Dead Sea and no water is going out. And there's this huge mystery that the Dead Sea is literally drying up. You can go to places and drive down roads and they have marks on cliffs that show where the Dead Sea used to be in terms of the water level. It's crazy. And it's crazy because 80 miles away is the Sea of Galilee that ultimately dumps into it. And the Sea of Galilee has water pouring in and pouring out. And the Sea of Galilee is today almost like a resort area. I mean, people are literally skiing on the Sea of Galilee. They got boats on the Sea of Galilee. And every single day on the Sea of Galilee, water is coming in and water is going out. And then on the Dead Sea, all this water is pumping in, nothing is going out. And yet the Dead Sea is drying up day over day over day. And my, my, my just admonition to you is this, is that you've got to figure out how to give your life away, how to empty yourself or you will never be full. And if you don't ultimately, in terms of your life and the picture of your life, you become the Dead Sea. Mark it down, your life will get smaller and smaller and smaller and more insulary and more self-consumed and more about you and there will be more relational conflict and distance than ever before and you'll wake up two decades later to wonder what happened and you won't be happy. And you'll buy into the lie that all of these things that haven't worked for two decades, if I just get a little bit more of what didn't work, then maybe that's gonna work. Or if I just get to the future version of me that is so legit, that's gonna change everything in terms of my enjoyment and my happiness. And all throughout scripture, you see the same invitation and the same idea that you were designed, you were manufactured, you were patented to give your life away. And the more you are about you, you will never enjoy life because you and I will never be enough to satisfy us. That literally you were designed by the giver of life to give your life away. So Jesus says to you, follow me. You're you're gonna never come to this conclusion on your own, but follow me. And you need to get up every day to remember what I've done for you 
Remember who you are in me. Remember who I am and then give that away to other people. Come on, if you've ever placed your faith and trust in Christ, which just means you've affirmed that Jesus came, Jesus died on the cross for your sin, lived the perfect life that you couldn't live and three days later walked out of a grave alive in history. And the scripture says, if you simply transfer your trust from you, to go, there is no way I can earn or keep this gift of salvation. And if I'm left to myself, I'm just gonna go of the way of the, the fruit of, or basically the outflow of the flesh and a life characterized by selfishness. But God, I want you to invade my heart. I want you to forgive me. I want you to give me new life. And so I'm trusting what you've done for me and not what I can do for you. And the scripture says, when you do that, something happens. And every day you need to get up and remind yourself that once I place my faith and trust in what Jesus has done, I'm a son and daughter of God. And there is no condemnation in Christ because every bit of that condemnation and every bit of that wrath was handled at the cross. And now I am free. Now I have nothing to prove. Now when I step in to what Jesus has done for me, literally I'm given the benefits of the perfect life that Jesus lived for me. And those benefits are not being shown in my daily behavior yet, but one day I'm gonna be there. But here's practically what's taking place right now. Your heavenly father looks at you and goes, even though your behavior's not matching it, one day it's going to and I see you as the perfection of my son as the righteousness of my son as if you've already achieved you've already earned you've already succeeded you've already finished well and one day that's going to be the reality because you're going to stand before your heavenly father and the righteousness and right standing of Jesus is going to be the thing that moves you to the place to be acceptable to God and that's how he sees you right now which means you have nothing to prove there is no composite person you need to try to gain enjoyment and happiness from there is no other individual you need to try to sync up with and be like, God has given you a divine destiny and a divine will and you are enough and you are a worthy because you are a radically loved son and daughter of the creator of the universe and all of the love and all of the acceptance and all of the worth and all of the security that you could ever hope for has already been given to you by Jesus. And the moment you begin to live a life that worships and speaks that over you is the moment you realize I don't have to jockey for position any longer and where I thought happiness was in my achievement, my accumulation, my consuming, there is nothing there and following Jesus is where it's at. So heavenly father, I'm surrendering my life and my will to you. And when that happens, you will find it easy to give your life away because there will be so much of your life to give away. You will not feel seduced into white knuckling what you have already been given. And so your heavenly father says to you, you were designed by me, the giver of life, to give your life away. And so I'm just gonna end with this because I just wanna make sure I make this clear. Because this is so emotional to me because I can't say thank you enough to the people that I get to watch and do life with literally on a weekly basis in ways that would astonish you. Like, there's some people that sacrifice and they deal with some things to, to just pour out their lives in a way that it would cause your jaw to drop. But to say thank you to literally the hundreds of people, not even just within these walls and in places in our city where they're making such a massive difference. And they are pouring out and they are giving their life away week in and week out. And I'm telling you, if you wanna take a step toward enjoyment and happiness, that's the step to take. Would you just stand with me at both of our campuses, south and north? And I just wanna pray over you and I wanna give this simple invitation first to some of you with heads bowed and eyes closed and, and both campus staying put as much as we can in this moment to just be sensitive to what God is doing and maybe the people around you, even if it's not personal to you. But for some of you, the invitation to give your life away is the initial invitation to transfer your trust and to go, I've lived for myself, I've tried to earn my way to God, I've tried to find my own definition of happiness and fulfillment and enjoyment, and it hasn't worked. And right now I'm realizing that I need a savior and his name is Jesus. And right now I wanna give my life away in terms of surrendering my life and asking Jesus to be my savior and to save me. And I just went through it a moment ago, but I wanna give you the opportunity where you're at, whether you're listening on radio right now, whether you're podcasting, whether you're physically in the room at our locations, this may be the moment for you. And you can just pray this prayer after me and a prayer does not save you. There's no 
ethereal magic mantra. It is simply, the scripture says, the declaration of your heart and your mind to go, I believe this and I'm transferring my trust. And so right where you are, you can just pray this prayer to affirm what you're believing in your heart as you give your life away to Jesus to say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. You can pray this after me wherever you are right now in a dorm room, in a a jail cell, in the house right now, listening, sitting in one of our seats. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. And I believe that you died on the cross for me for all of my sin. And three days later, I believe that you rose again in history. And right now, I'm not trusting me anymore. I'm trusting you to save me. And so Jesus, forgive me, save me, and make me your son and your daughter. And the scripture says, when you make that transfer of trust, there is nothing that can ever undo that because it's not based on your performance, it's based on his perfection and promise. And that I've said hundreds of times that even if you stumble to the finish line of your life, you will stand face to face with your savior, redeemed, accepted, and holy because of what he did for you, not what you offered to him. And so one more time for some of you, this is the moment where your destiny and eternity is changing forever. I wanna give you a chance one more time to pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you lived the perfect life I couldn't live. I believe that you died on the cross for all my sin. And I believe three days later, you rose again. And right now I'm trusting what you have done to save me and not what I can do to save myself. So Jesus, forgive me and make me a son and a daughter in this moment. And so with nobody looking around, would you just lift up your hand at either campus and say, this was the moment that I placed my faith and trust in Christ and I personally gave my life away to him. If that's you in the house at either campus, would you just lift up your hand right now to go, this is the moment for me? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the moment for the first time I would say, this, this is it where I've never made that transfer of trust to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus to save me. One more time, if anybody, either location. And I'm sure there's people at South right now. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do and I'm praying in just a moment, but there's a card around you or you can find it either at Connect Point or After Party and just says, I have decided. And if you would just fill that out, we wanna give you some information about this new journey and help you to take that next step because a one-time decision is amazing, but now this is a journey to begin to sow and reap in the right direction and experience life with Jesus. So let us help you take your next step and your next step today is fill out that card, take it. There's no pressure, but we wanna give you some information and we wanna help you take a next step. Both campuses, Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for what you're doing right now in this moment to save and rescue and redeem people, what you've been doing for 2000 years. I thank you for what you've done through this series. And Lord, we recognize it is all you and it is the power of your spirit. And Lord, we're just thankful for even today, literally the stories that are being written that won't just change an individual's life. In some cases, because of the nature of what we're talking about, it is gonna have a multi-generational ripple effect. And for others, it is literally rewriting their eternity and their future forever. So God, I thank you for your grace and I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. And we pray all of this in the incredible and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. And at both campuses, would you put your hands together to celebrate those who place their faith and trust in Jesus? Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.